From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we keep up with the can't stop, won't stop Cleveland Guardians as they keep rolling back to New York City for Game 5 of the Divisional Series. And we keep rolling with whatever the Browns are doing. Then we switch things up as we ready for the return of the NBA. We will stay on the court to preview the Cavs and the NBA season. And then we'll hit some NBA off the court stuff to close out the night. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Denko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, how much production can your bosses expect tomorrow before game five? 50% normal production. <laughs> it's actually not too shabby. Yeah, it's flip of the coin, right? Wasn't the game later tomorrow? It's at seven, but no, you know, well, you'll, you'll be... be distracted, won't you? <laughs> well, I have to be in super early. I got to be in before 5 a.m. So mm. um, the only thing that'll be on my mind will be a quick nap before the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I work for myself, so, you know, I'll see what I do. But uh, <laughs> I'll probably be somewhat distracted trying to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow night. Why don't we get into it? Our first segment we will stay at home with our Guardians div cap. Recapping the divisional playoff series for the Cleveland Guardians. It is now just after 10-15 on Sunday night. We all just finished watching the guards drop game four to the Yankees to set up game five tomorrow. But what a weekend for the guards who used perfectly timed weak hits, great base running, and a bunch of moxie to push the series to its final game. How about you guys give me your one-word hot take on the ALDS so far. Hmm. Tense. Fair enough. Intense. <laughs> <laughs> Double word score. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say close because I think the series is a lot closer than I thought it would be. And you can say what you want about the Yankees and their history, their payroll, what that lineup can do. But I feel like the Guardians kept this tight every inning every game and you know fingers crossed they do it again tomorrow but this has been a really fun series and the guards have played some great baseball along the way i think you can't overlook what the manager has done uh, i think terry francona has done a great job in this series for the guardians he gets criticism for some of his in-game moves during the season i think usually when there's more factors in play than just one game but a series like this, I think you get to see how good he really is and definitely on display in a must-win game on Saturday night in Game 3. So which one of these moves was the best Game 3 move by Francona? First one, pitch-hitting Brennan for hedges late in the game. Next one, starting Arias at first base. Next, never pinch-hitting for Miles Straw because pop flies are the best. Uh, last one, trusting in Eli Morgan. I don't think I would have in game three or tonight, but he trusts in Eli Morgan so that he can save Karen check, Trevor Steffen and Emmanuel Classe for the game today or the game tomorrow. So which one of those moves was the best in game three? Well, you don't pinch hit for Miles straw because you need his glove in the outfield. You know how I feel about strong defensive center fielders. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get that, him out of the game. Um, but I think the best move in that list, uh, they were all pretty gutsy at the time, right? I mean, geez, like you're just rolling the dice with 
young inexperience up and down that list. But I like the the Will Brennan pinch hit in that moment because it was for hedges and you've got a good backup catcher ready to come in after that. That was I that might have been in the seventh. It was late in the game. It was in the seventh or eighth inning, and it worked out phenomenally. I, I, you know, but at the same time, I think he he played from a bit of a position of strength there because you knew you had another defensive catcher waiting in the wings to to finish out that game. I like the Arias start because I didn't see that coming. He was he have a single and a double, hit the ball really hard in that game, and played solid first base up until questionable today on that one stretch, stepping back instead of stepping towards. Um, but overall, like a guy who has zero major league experience. Uh, to to deliver like I thought I thought he played really well and I, like I said I, I thought it was coming from nowhere I didn't expect that guy to see the field. Arias did have one start at first base during the season, so you can't say that he doesn't have a wealth of experience <laughs> playing that position at the major yeah. league level. But you know what, he did have that weird play tonight where he had I think they gave the error to Rosario, but yeah. it could have just as easily been on him. But then two innings later, he he stabbed a ball and yeah. saved a hit and yeah. ended an inning. Uh, and so it, that's good. I, I just love the way Francona has handled the pitching and the bullpen in game three when it really, really mattered because they needed that win. And tonight, because he did manage to save his three best bullpen arms for another day. Uh, and now you're going to have Class A and Karen Check and Stefan coming into that game tomorrow with two days off. Uh, that That's a pretty great spot to be in. So I'm, I'm going to give it to the way he handled the bullpen and and having some faith in Eli Morgan when I would not have for sure. So that was game three's success. What went wrong for the guards tonight? They ran into Garrett Cole, who pitched really well. It's almost like a lot has to go really right for the Guardians to win that game tonight. You know, like you have to play error-free baseball. You have to do timely bloops. I'm going to even call them timely hitting because they have trademark bloop hits and they all are hits in the book. So who cares? I don't know really what what went wrong. You know, the, the, uh, another unlikely guy on that roster to hit a home run again. That twat, like Harrison, <laughs> they hit another home run. I, I don't I don't know what really went wrong. They just it just didn't work out. I, I'm not pissed off about it. I'm excited for Game Five, but I think you, you're running to Cole, who who pitched a hell of a game, even though they got to him. Yeah, I think it's harder to decide what went wrong. In tonight's game, it's not like the Guardians left a bunch of guys on second and third base like they did in previous games, even when they did come back and win late in the game. That wasn't happening. There was the one inning that you were you were hoping for a couple more runs, but Ramirez kind of ran us out of the inning. But that wasn't a guaranteed thing either. That would be first and third with with two outs. You know, it's, it's not like we're just going to push more runs across guaranteed. Uh, so I, I guess what went wrong is when we did have guys in scoring position and really even a base hit might have plated the equalizer at some points in that game the middle of our lineup shy of the one nailer solo shot really didn't do much tonight and you needed some production out of out of your your rosario ramirez nailer gonzalez stretch and and the nailer had the only only real hit there if it was anything it's cal quantrell was not as sharp as you might hope he would be and maybe as he was his last like four or five starts during the season and Jose Ramirez had chances. He came up with guys on base tonight, and he looked terrible. Uh, everybody loves Jose. This team is nowhere near where it gets to without that guy, but he was bad tonight. He was bad at the plate. He was swinging at everything, didn't even try to keep him into the strike zone before he took a cut, and just a bad night for him. Uh, and actually, I think he's been swinging the, the bat pretty poorly for a few days now. 
and I think that's catching up with them because eventually you do need somebody who, who's going to drive in some runs and and get some extra base hits or home runs and stuff like that. So that's it for game four. Hey, the beauty of winning game three was that, you know, we we're playing with house money a little bit tonight. I'm, I know we all wanted them to close this out partially for the fact that we don't want to have another stressful night of watching baseball tomorrow, but uh, it looks like that's what's coming. So game five tomorrow night, seven o'clock start in New York city over under on the pitchers. The guards will use tomorrow three and a half over over for sure. Yeah. I I think it probably will be unless Savali goes seven, which would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's probably the over for that as well. It's going to be one of those days where Francona marches out every arm that he possibly can uh, and, and tries to get the job done. Speaking of getting the job done, what do the guards need to do to win the game tomorrow? There's a lot involved here. Uh, you hope they get good pitching from anybody who steps out of the mound, which I assume they will. We're kind of addressing it. The, the meat of that lineup needs to hit. Uh, I think no one had more than one hit today, right? And then everybody just, whoever had a hit had one hit. That's a given. The other thing too is, you know, like what happened in, in game three a little bit where you were seeing some production in the lower end of that lineup. Somebody's going to have to step up out of that seven, eight, or nine spot. It just has to happen. Whether it, it could be moving runners in the scoring position for all I care, or getting two blue pits. I, I think that's where it lies. It's been a, it's been a struggle all year to get production out of those spots, and it's fun that it comes down to one game. So I'm hoping somebody could step up, and, and it could be a guy who, like you know, you don't expect to be a pinch hitter. Maybe Bo Naylor gets in at bat tomorrow. <laughs> a lot has to happen, but this team is built that way where they can put a lot together in any given game from the good pitching to the timely hitting to trotting hitter after hitter out to the play, uh, plate in any given inning and, and plating two or three runs after six singles or something. So that I think we need to play Guardians baseball. But beyond that, I think what needs to happen tomorrow is you got to keep this Yankees team to about three or four runs, I think. And, and that's not to say they can't have four home runs, but they better be solo shots. You know, you keep them to three or four runs and this, this guardians teams in the game then. And that's, that's a big ask most of the time, but they've been doing it for, in this series. So let's see them continue that tomorrow. I would love to see four good innings from Savali. I think if that guy could give us four good innings, he, he then sets up the rest of the bullpen to pitch normal amounts. And I think that's really going to be big to, to helping them get the game. I think they need to get some extra base hits. I, I mean, we all love the way they played this year, but it, they didn't play the entire season just hitting singles. You know, plenty of guys hit doubles. You know, Rosario it was like, I think, led the league in triples. How about some of that? You know, we need to hit the ball a little bit harder so that they don't have to work to grind these runs out quite so much because the Yankees are good enough and have shown, especially tonight, shown they were good enough to stop that grind and keep them from taking an inning that where they score a run or two from becoming an inning when it's four or five, it'd be nice to have a big inning, a crooked number up for an inning for the guardians tomorrow. I think that's what it's going to take to win. So put your money where your mouth is the guards getting it done in game five tomorrow. Oh, it feels so good. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> I, it does and I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ruin the mojo here i i think the guards get it done on the strength of our pitching and i think our pitching staff is set up better for tomorrow's game than new york's is 
Yeah, that's the clear advantage that that I see is that we're in a much better position with our pitching staff. With that said, one through nine can hit anything out of that park. I think all of us have said the same kind of things and put it together really well. Like you're right, Gers. Like he has to give four good innings because if they score two or three runs in the first or second inning, then it could seem like an immountable yeah. uh, stretch for them. I don't think they get it done. I want them to get it done. I bet against them a lot. And maybe that's why I'm going this way. Cause deep down, maybe it'll work. I'm doing like the reverse Gerber thing here, but um, <laughs> I just think they're playing at home. The crowd there is going to be sick. And if two or three guys just rake and go deep, that game's over and it might be over early. Bear albeit shitty points <laughs> right no <laughs> can't can't argue with any of that but the eternal optimism of jason gerber says the guards are getting it done tomorrow we get strong pitching we get some timely hitting i just can't imagine jose is going to be as bad again as he was tonight and i think jimenez showed some signs of life with the bat tonight and if that guy can get it going tomorrow and Naylor's hitting the ball, and Jose's doing his thing a little bit better than he has the last couple days, we might see this team score some runs. Fingers crossed. It's going to be another stressful night, but um, I'm taking the guards to win this and send them to the American League Championship Series on Wednesday night, and we can start this whole damn roller coaster (laughs) again in only a couple more days. But let's move on from the things that are exciting to, well, you know, the Cleveland Browns. Welcome to Skid Marks, the brown and orange road to, honestly, at this point, pretty much nowhere. Our weekly look at the Cleveland Browns. Browns lost a winnable game. Oh, wait. No, they didn't, because this one never seemed winnable from the beginning. Browns looked overmatched, unprepared, and outsmarted by the Patriots. They lose 38-15, to but good news, the Ravens lost too. So the Browns are still only one game out of first at two and four in the AFC North. Go Browns. (laughs) Is it possible that the Browns are just bad? Anything's possible. But what I'm seeing, yeah, they, they might be bad. The defense is bad. We know the special teams are bad. We thought the offense has been pretty good. Today they were bad. Bad play calling, bad balance. You're asking a backup to throw it 40 plus times. And that's a guy they brought in and said, he's not going to turn the ball over. Uh, He's not going to lose you a game. And I'm not saying that happened today because they got blown out today. Like, it's not all his fault, but I'm sure you're going to hear that over the next few days, how he protects the football and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think, I think each week they're getting worse. So they're, they might be bad. (laughs) That is never what you want from your NFL team. (laughs) They might be bad. I, you know, coming into the season, we were hanging our hat on the fact that we were going to see a really good defensive squad, which you would hope would keep a very average offense in games. And up till this week, I think our offense has outperformed expectations most weeks. This week might be more along the lines of what we expected from our offense coming into the season, but our defense is shit. They look to focus on stopping the run to at least start the game today, which was a good thing. You could tell they were focused on that, but they could not stop a single pass. So they can't do both. That's a huge problem. They they were given up. I think the Patriots converted on like three third and plus tens in a row to start on their, just ridiculous. So our, our defense and our special teams, which we didn't think we'd have to worry about coming into the season, look awful. And I don't know. I don't know that there is a fix on this team this year. Um, it, it, it doesn't feel good. And I, I can't imagine them you know, without a huge turnaround 
on defense specifically, I can't imagine them stacking any kind of wins together in the next few weeks. After a couple weeks of the season, I thought that they were going to be good because I think I assumed all this stuff would improve, and it hasn't. And I think Chuck is right. I, I think it's getting worse every week. It just seems like there are new problems every week that they can't figure out, and that defense just seems so unimpactful. They don't make plays. They don't generate turnovers. They barely generate any sacks. Like, what are we doing? We're definitely not putting the team in a position to win with the defense. So I, I think right now the Browns are really bad, but I feel I still think they can win the division because I think the rest of the division is proving <laughs> to be pretty bad too. So moving on, Jacoby Brissett, bad game, or is this who he really is? Now, I, I think this is his first bad game of the season from start to finish. I don't think this is who he really is because he had he had turnovers today, and that's not who that guy is. I think, like Chuck was saying, he was he was put into a position to do something that he he can't do. That's not what that quarterback is is built to do. He's had bad plays, bad drives in games up to this point, but this was his first bad game. It looked like from start to finish. So I, I think it was a bad game by him. Uh, I mean, the first drive turnover on the second play, right? It was just unbrissett like so hopefully it is a bad game he flushes it and gets back to at least protecting the ball on the offensive side going forward well like six games in and i think there's a big enough sample size that we've seen him play to know that it's a bad game today but i never want to see this guy have to throw 40 plus times a game it's and i understand they were you have to throw the ball to come back in this league but I just think it was a bad game for him, but you and six games in, we now know his limitations. You know what he can do and what he can't do. When he makes great throws sometimes, and maybe his deep balls are a little questionable. I don't think he's bad. I think this is what he, this is who he is. Just today was was worse. <laughs> the turnovers are un <laughs> the turnovers are uncharacteristic. I would expect one, but not not like today. Everybody's going to have a bad game here and there. It should not come as a surprise to us that our backup quarterback, who's starting is going to have a bad game against the Bill Belichick defense. I think a Patriots defense is probably a little bit underrated right now. They got some players on that team. And so I don't know. I, I don't think this is who he is. I think it's just a bad game, a bad situation all around from beginning to end, which I don't think is entirely his fault. But there's no doubt that he was bad. He was inaccurate throughout the day. Even a lot of his completions were balls that were low that the receivers were making plays. He had that pass to Njoku, I think, in the first quarter that if he had hit him in stride would have been a touchdown, but he threw it a yard behind him and he had to stop and get it. So just, just kind of an all around bad day for him. Moving on to a new segment, Michael or Fredo evaluating Kevin Stefanski's coaching decisions. He starts the game with two pass plays, one to the other team overall throughout the game, 45 pass attempts, as you guys have mentioned versus only 18 rushing attempts in the game was K Steph, Michael or Fredo today. Fredo. I like Michael. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's all Fredo today. Yeah, definitely Fredo. I, the, the score was a shellacking, but they were in the game even through the third quarter. You know, I mean, if you're down what I think at some point it was, it was 17 to six or whatever it was. And we're still throwing the ball all over the yard. Like that's, that's Fredo got a hold of the play calling and I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh, Fredo was weak and stupid. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm on the Fredo side of things. I feel like he got severely outcoached by Bill Belichick today. Uh, I think Belichick had the right numbers and the right buttons to push all day long. And, uh, Kevin Stefanski was not up to that task against him. So we'll move on. Who's your 
MDB, your most disappointing Brown for the game. Cool water. Amari Cooper had four catches for 44 yards, one tease of a worthless touchdown. JOK only had five tackles. Jacoby Brissett, two interceptions, threw for 200 yards. But while the game was close, he was hovering right around 100. So there are a lot of Tim Couch yards in that 200 number. <laughs> Last one, Anthony Schwartz, zero catches. And that terrible video from earlier in the week at practice where he got stood up by a tackling dummy. Who's your MDB? All those are very good and disappointing options. I'm going to lean towards JOK. I actually, as I was watching slash listening to today's game, I kept thinking about like, all right, JOK made a, a terrible read on, a, on one of the broken plays, I, I believe, and gave up a huge chunk play. It was one of the 50 yard pass plays, I think. But, but beyond that, I'm thinking, all right, where's, where's this, this dynamic linebacker making plays to get the Patriots off the field, to give our offense another chance when we were only down nine or 10 or even 16. Um, and, and his name just wasn't called, as you mentioned, five tackles. So I, 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 I may be expecting too much out of a, out of such a young player, but I thought this season, and maybe it still will be, I thought this season was going to be that, that jumping off point for that guy where he's like, all right, here's our dynamic guy in the second tier of our defense. But so far he is not. There's still time for JOK. I'm going to give it to Mitchell Schwartz because he sucked in the <laughs> preseason and it's continued over six games in. Like he's hardly part of the offense. And when they try to make him part of the offense, I ask, why are they trying to make him part of the offense? So I'm giving it to that dude. Really is a toss up between all four of these guys, as well as about 15 other guys on the team and a bunch of coaches. But I think I'm going with JOK too. I, I really thought that guy was set for a breakout year and was going to be a commanding presence on that defense. And not just this week, but the last several weeks, he doesn't seem like he's uh, made any impact at all. All right. We got there, I think. Tell me something good. Oh, well, I didn't take it too seriously today. I'm going to give it to myself, not the team. <laughs> it didn't make me angry. Uh, I offered to put this is, and this is how bad it got. This is the first week they've been on nationally here in Erie. So I got to watch it on a TV, not my phone. And I offered the Steeler game to my wife right after halftime. I just knew where it was heading. Yeah. I didn't want to get angry. So I'm giving it to myself. Well, that was information I did not have prior to just right now. So I think I'm going to give it to Chuck as well. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is pretty good. If I, if I had to give it to someone that actually dressed for today's game, um, I don't know. Maybe uh, something good would be Cade York made all his field goal attempts. That that was yeah. that was good. There that, you that go. Was good. Yep, that was good. Nice. Week too late, but all right. Yeah, I'm gonna give it to the weather. From what I could see on TV, oh, it looked like it was day. a nice. beautiful day in Absolutely downtown Cleveland. Day. I think it's probably a fantastic day for everybody who was at the game to stay downtown and hang out, waiting for the Guardians game to start, which is really great for downtown businesses. So way to go, weather. Good work. All right, next week on the road against three and three Baltimore. We all picked them to lose this one. Anybody want to change their pick to the Browns going on the road and defeating the Baltimore Ravens? <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to change it either, but I want to reserve the right. Like if Baltimore gets out to a big lead since they've been losing that way, maybe, but no, I, no, I'm not changing it. No, I'm going for it. First pick of the year, I'm going to change. I just feel like something's got to give here. The Browns can't actually be this bad. The Ravens might be. I'm taking the Browns on the road in Baltimore to shock the world next Ooh. week. Ooh. Go Browns. Yeah.
Oh, God. All right. Well, why don't we take our first break, wash our mouths from this, <laughs> come back, and we'll head out for the first time on the court. Talk some NBA 2022 season kickoff. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. And tonight, we will go on the court. We're going to start with the Cleveland Cavaliers and then talk about the rest of the league in the 2022-2023 NBA season set to kick off Tuesday night. So we'll start with our final edition of Day Drinkers, our preseason sip of wine and gold Cleveland Cavs preview. And we're going to start tonight with the biggest question up front. Seems pretty clear that four out of the five starting spots for the Cavs are set in stone, but that small forward position remains a question, even though I think the preseason has probably narrowed it down to two guys. Isaac Okoro, still only 21 years old. He's six foot five, which is the low end of average for small forwards in the NBA. I looked that up. Uh, he has looked really good offensively this preseason, better than he has in the past. He is, of course, still a, a good defense rebound guy. The other one is Karis LeVert, 6'6", a little bit more closer to average for a small forward. He is rumored to be the winner of training camp. There is a lot of buzz about how he is healthy now after some injuries slowed him last season once he was traded to the Cavs. Who is starting for the Cavs at small forward when the season starts? This is a really good problem to have because I like I like both of those guys and how they've looked in the in the preseason anyway. Um, I'm going to give it to Okoro, and I ha I don't have a really good reason for this. I feel like what they're gonna what they're gonna end up doing is they're starting five. It's it's how to, how does the team play together, right? So do you need a Karis Levert kind of? I'm gonna I'm gonna drive the lane and create my own shot kind of guy in the starting five. He might be better off coming off the bench when Okoro is he's, as you mentioned, he's been playing really well offensively in the preseason, but he's a defense first guy. And that might fit in really well with these, the other four guys on the court at the time you've got points. You would think coming from both guard positions and, and certainly Mobley, if he's healthy. So I don't know. I think a curl might get the nod. Uh, but again, I, I, there's no wrong answer there. I think it's a curl for most of the reasons that Phil said. Um, you probably trust him more than Levert to guard wings, and he's a D-first guy. So that makes more sense. Where Levert can create his own shot, where Okoro, um, he's my guy. I'm hoping that makes a big jump this year, at least offensively, but he's better defensively. And I like Levert on that second unit because that guy can get buckets where it's not expected for Okoro to get them at least early on in the season. I think Okoro really is the clear choice because he brings a lot of defense to a starting rotation that already has points, already has plenty of guys who can score. Maybe even more so if Evan Mobley takes another step up and his offense improves even more than where he was at last season. You still need Okoro to score points. You still need him to be able to knock down shots to create space for Garland and Mitchell. But I think it makes the most sense to put him in the starting lineup and then have Levert come in with that second unit. And so you have a legitimate scorer on that second unit, which we didn't have last year. Like the offense went away when Mobley and Garland had to sit. And I don't think they're going to have that problem this year in part because Levert gives them that scorer who can create with that second unit. I think that's the obvious place to start, but it wouldn't surprise me if over the first 10 games, Bickerstaff is moving these guys in and out. 
and and seeing what works and and maybe tinkering with that small forward position a little bit until he figures out who fits who fits best where. Uh, speaking of JB Bickerstaff, imagine this: he comes to you and he says, "Hey, I want you to come and talk to the team before the opening of the season. When you go talk to the Cavs, what lessons learned from the baby guard season are you going to try to impart?" On the young caps, man, loaded. I wish I went to Phil first. No, huh? no, 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 no. Uh, it's it's just it's a loaded question. That different is okay. You're seeing the Guardians making a playoff run, bucking what MLB does typically. They just want guys to hit home runs, uh, and we saw this last year. That's what the Guardians were trying, and the Guardians, the Cavs were trying to instill is like a, a a really solid defensive team in the regular season. You know, like they're playing like every game is important where most NBA teams do not. So I guess that's what I would talk about. Youth is, is a good thing. Uh, and this is another, there, there's so many parallels between the Guardians and the Cavs, how, how youth is, youth is good and you can win with youth. And this can be exciting if you play together as a team. And that's what both of them have been doing all season. Well, they did last season and then the Guardians are doing it now. So the, I, I guess I would focus on that stuff. Youth is youth is great and and being different is just fine to piggyback off of those points i would i would focus on on speed and defense that that's what has gotten the guardians to where they are right now they run out every every batted ball like they're playing in high school still it's it's ridiculous but it has served them well they've led all of baseball and infield hits so i would tell the Cavs, it's all about speed and defense you're not going to get out hustled in any game from from the jump from beginning of the season and it's going to piss off a lot of these other nba teams especially with older established all-star type players when all of a sudden they're just running up and down the floor, running them off the floor, playing solid defense. Like we saw the Cavs play last year, to be honest, that was, that was kind of their MO uh, before they were kind of finding who they were in the first half of the season. So focus on those two things, speed and defense. If JB asked me to talk to the team, I would be leading with hustle and good things will happen. That's what we see from the guards so often, man. That ability to go from first to third on a base hit, running out those infield hits creates pressure on the other team, and that's when you get them to make mistakes, and that's when good things happen for you. So I think what the guards have shown us that the Cavs can benefit from is go out there and do all those little hustle, dirty, scrappy plays that you need to win basketball games, and if you do it all the time, it's going to lead to good things, and it's going to lead to wins. So hustle like the Guardians, Cavs. That's what I would say. All right, last season, Cavs won 44 games. This year, Vegas predicts their win total at 47.5. So are you going over or under 47.5 for the Cavs this year? I'm going over. I feel 51. Mark it down. 51 wins. All right, Chuck. I'm going under. Not that I think it's a bad thing. I think they're going to be right around there, but there's going to be some tinkering uh, this year. That tinkering is going to be with Garland and Mitchell. So we talked about how important Okoro might be to this team. I, I don't know if there's enough tinkering to go around, but I, I think they're going to be right where they right where they were last year, maybe a, a game or two more. But it, I'm, I'm, I can see the other way too with Phil saying, like this is a 50-plus win team, but I just think it, it's going to be that under. I think I'm going over... But I'm not quite sure I'm as aggressive to get up to 51. This is, I think, a, a 48-49 type of team, maybe, in part because of the tinkering and also in part, and we're going to get to it in a minute, the East is loaded. Yeah. There are a lot of good teams, and there are a few really good teams in the East this year. 
And I think that wins just might be harder to come by this season than they were last year. So we'll see. But they're starting four All-Stars. I got to think that gets them four more games than they had last year. That's what I think. So I'm taking over, but not nearly as aggressive as crazy Danko. (laughs) All right. Last one. Look to the end of the season for the Cavs. What round of the playoffs is the ceiling for this year's team? The ceiling? Because I, 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 I don't know if, if I'm going by that, I think it's going to be under, they could be in, in the play in. Very real chance the yeah. Cavs are better this year and they end up in the play in for sure. Yeah. That could definitely happen. I think the ceiling for them is because the East is really loaded, might be getting out of the first round, maybe making it to the second round of the playoffs. And that's okay because this is still a, you know, like if you're listening to the front office, like this is a build up season. Like this is, we should enjoy this ride because this era is beginning right now. It's not, it's not, I don't expect it, you know, like leaps and bounds from last year, but you laid the groundwork in this season. You expect to jump, but this is still a buildup uh, and one that I'm super excited to see. So I think if they get out of that first round, that's a, that's a huge win for this organization. Well, in keeping with my 51 win total, <laughs> I'm going to say the ceiling for this team and, and for, for good reason. I think the ceiling, the, the, the East is, is loaded, but I think the ceiling for this Cavs team is the Eastern Conference Championship round. I don't see them winning it, but I, I can see this team gelling as the season goes on and getting better and better. And as you mentioned, Gerbs, they're starting four all-stars. The only one who's not an all-star is Evan Mobley. He might be the best player of the five. <laughs> you know, if they stay healthy and they they play the right brand of basketball, I could see them running through the playoffs because by that point they will have gelled is what I'm assuming. But again, in the East, you're going to run into some monsters in the, in that playoff bracket. But so ceiling wise, let's let's go with the conference uh, championship round. I love how much Denko is gerbering his Cavs predictions this year. Just the, yeah. the the crazy optimism. I love it. I'm thinking I'm closer to Chuck, though. I think this team is probably a really tough out in the second round. They are playing somebody like the Bucks or maybe the Celtics or something like that really tough to a six or seven game series in the second round. And it's kind of like the coming out party nationally for the Cavs as somebody you got to worry about next season. That's kind of where I see that going. It goes without saying, though, that I am super excited for the Cavs season. I think they start on Wednesday night this week, so it'll be fun to get in some Cavs talk each week on the show. Let's move on and just talk about the NBA in general for a little bit. Who's your favorite current NBA player that's not on the Cavs? Oh, boy. My favorite current NBA player who's not on the Cavs. I'm a big fan of the secretly shitty bucks, as we all know. And uh, so I'm going to go with Giannis. I think he's just a, he, he's a fun guy to root for because he's, he seems to be such a good guy. Uh, and he's really, really good at basketball on a <laughs> team in a market that, you know, by now in his career, he should be in New York or LA, right. Or somewhere else. And he's not. So I'm going to go with Giannis. Draymond Green, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hated him at first, but now I really know uh, that guy stinks. That's a really great. It's an exciting league. There's a lot of players in it like John, you know, like I, I think I'm going to sit on Giannis is great. Uh, he's a freak. And there's so many good young players. And you know, I still love LeBron James, but I think I'm most excited to watch Ja Morant play this year. Uh, he, we talked about a little bit last season. Like he, he reminds me of Allen Iverson only. I think he's more athletic. And I think that's a really good deep basketball team out there. Who's going to go very far in the playoffs. So I think as you're seeing younger stars come up, like, I think that I want that guy to be the face. He's just so exciting to watch. Ja was mine too. 
Hey, you know what? I didn't. Maybe I wasn't clear, but I wasn't thinking about hey, who's the best player? That's yeah. a totally different debate. It's just like yeah. which guy do you like right. the most? And I think I know Jaw's not the best player in the league, but man, is he fun to watch? We talked about this last year. To me, he was like a young Jordan because um, he, he just dunks with that ferocity, uh, and he's so exciting to watch. I guess I'm. He scares me a little bit the way that he plays. God, is this guy's body gonna hold up? That's that's a little bit worrisome. Just like but, Iverson. Like the yeah, same yeah, conversations about yeah. Iverson. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah, Iverson is probably a better comparison than Jordan, but um, either way, he's a lot of fun to watch. All right, a few moments ago, I mentioned just about the, the good teams in the East. Let's go through the list. This is a list that I made. Th- these are really good or good teams. Bucks, 76ers, Celtics, Miami, Brooklyn, Toronto, Atlanta, Cleveland, Chicago, Maybe New York. I count that as 10 really good or good teams in the East. Who are finishing as the top three teams in the East at the end of the regular season? Boston, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. In that order? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, Chuck. You're on it today, man. I think a lot of these teams, they're all really good. They're all going to be bunched up at the end. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a number of 50 to 51 win teams and some 49 win teams. So uh, I think Boston and probably in order, Boston, surprisingly, I think the Hawks make a jump this year. Wow. Oh, yeah. And just because they seem to be the pinnacle of, you know, they're always good. They're like the Titans of the NBA. I'm going to say the heat. I think the heat are in there at three. They're, they don't get a whole lot of national attention, but they're a deep team and they play really well together. So I think it's going to go Celtics, Hawks are my wild card, and then the Heat. I like that you reach for the Hawks, although I think if the Hawks are that good, you almost guarantee the Cavs are in the play-in because that means you're knocking out somebody from the top three like the 76ers or Brooklyn who will probably be good enough to finish ahead of the Cavs. We'll see. All right, I went in order Bucks, Celtics, 76ers. Uh, Bucks, I think, just the best team probably in basketball Celtics are still really good, even though they've had their coaches issues. And if the 76ers can work out this James Harden thing, that's a really good team that that team has more depth than you think. And 85% of what we think James Harden used to be would be good enough to get that team into the top three. So let's turn our gaze out West and look at the good teams out there. My list, Phoenix, Memphis, Golden State, the Clippers, Dallas, Denver, Minnesota, New Orleans, uh, the Lakers. Uh, By my count, I think there's four really good teams compared to 10 or something like that in the East. But who would be your top three out West? In order, I think the Mavs are three. I think they're a 51 team this year. I think the Grizzlies are at two because they're so deep um, and young. Um, But I think the number one team out West is the Nuggets this year. I think it's going to be the Nuggets. Dangerous Chuck. What do you think, Phil? (laughs) I think the West reminds me a lot of the East during the first go round with LeBron in the Cavs, where they're going to get like three teams in the playoffs with sub 500 records. But So you're going with the Lakers? No, 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 no. No, they'll be in the playoffs with a losing record. That's my prediction for the Lakers this year. They will make the playoffs with a losing record. Uh, My top three in the West, 
All right, I'll start with three. Three is Memphis. I'm, I'm going with Memphis. I agree. I think that team is is up there in the top three. I think two are the LA Clippers. They're going to somehow get in their own way, though, and, and screw it up. Uh, they're talented. They have really good players on their team, uh, and one is Golden State. It's same old, same old. This is amazing. Danko. Just <laughs> It's like we wrote this together. Uh, because we didn't my, for those listening order, at home. No, we didn't. But no, my order from one to three is Golden State, the LA Clippers, provided they can get their acts together this year. We still have never seen this team do that. Uh, and then Memphis at three. I think Memphis makes a leap into that top tier of teams out west. I think Golden State is going to be better than they were last year. I think that team, and I hate it so much, found a way to reload without ever having to rebuild and that just stinks but they did it and i think that they're going to be they're going to be a really tough team to beat coming out of the west this year i think they take the west all right now we're going to have some real fun because i thought as i was preparing for tonight that what we really need are a way for us to be more interested in the nba beyond just the Cavs. so welcome to the first ever from the land side pieces our first ever draft for a team to have an affair with even though we have no intention of forming a serious relationship we are going to draft uh, a good side piece and a bad one and we're going to have a competition that runs all year you'll get points for the most combined wins from your good team and losses from your bad team so if your good team wins 50 games and your bad team loses 50 games, you get 100 points. Okay? Yep, got it. The winner at the end of the year will win a major award. I have not decided <laughs> what that will be. Sorry. But, that's... <laughs> um, but I, had, I had Tammy this morning pull our names out of a hat, as I have done for other drafts that we've had. Um, she did it randomly. You're not going to believe it in a minute when I tell you what it is, but I promise you (laughs) she did it. So we're going to do good teams first in order, and we'll pick for Burke and Miller, and then we'll do reverse order for the bad teams. The order for the good teams first is Gerber, Chuck, Denko, Burke, Miller. And I promise you, I knew as soon as she pulled my name out first that it wasn't going to be believable, but it is what happened. So I'm going to pick my good team first, my good side piece, and I'm going with the Bucks. So Chuck, you're on the clock. Mm, baby, even with the coaching issues, I think the Celtics are loaded and he got them to play defense last year. So I hope that carries over for whoever's because he had a well, kind of like a work side piece, right? So it's definitely yeah. I'm taking the I'm taking the Celtics. So the Celtics have experience with this. Yes. <laughs> All right, Phil, you're on the clock. That's the deepest dive into yeah. this fantasy draft ever. <laughs> they know what they're doing when it comes to side pieces. All right, so Gerber, you had the you had the Bucks, Chuck, you had the Celtic. I'm tempted to go West because it's so shitty, right? Like some team's going to win a lot of team a lot of games in the West. I hate the Warriors. <laughs> oh, Don't man. do it, man. I know, right? You're not trying to form a relationship uh, with them. I, You're just. But this is my good, good side time. piece. This is my good <laughs> yeah. side piece. This is the one that I, you know, maybe a conversation occurs here and there. My bad side piece is the one you just like, whatever. So uh, uh, I'm going to need legal representation after this, Gerbs. Um, let's go with Philly because, you know, I like their oh, name. Oh, wow. That works. All right. <laughs> so Burke is up. 
it's one of two teams to give to Burke. Either we're giving him the Clippers or we're giving him the Warriors. Either way, he's going to hate it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give him the Warriors. Yeah, the Warriors. Give him the Warriors. (laughs) He might win this whole thing because of that, but he's going to hate it. (laughs) So that leaves us with possibilities for Miller. Clippers, Nets, Nuggets, Grizzlies. What do you guys think? You guys are both in on the clip. Why don't you give them the Clippers? You yeah. both believe. Stay West. Definitely stay West. I'd say Clippers okay. or Memphis. Yeah, Clippers is good. Let's give them the Clippers. You know, they'd show up if they want to pick their own team, right? That's right. <laughs> well, I never, I didn't invite them, so there's no way to know. It's but... not an open invite <laughs> by now? Come on. <laughs> They're shocked right, we're so recording the show. <laughs> let's move on to our bad team draft, trying to pick the worst team you possibly can. Uh, and we'll lead off with Miller the Pacers the Rockets and the Spurs all are at like 22 and a half or 23 and a half predicted wins the Spurs are actually the worst they're 22 and a half predicted wins this year by Vegas do you want to just give them the Spurs as like the number one shitty pick yep. yeah yep. okay so Miller gets the Spurs should we give Burke the Nets yeah <laughs> <laughs> Give them oh, the Globetrotters. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> know oh, you don't give them the Globetrotters. You give them the Washington Senators, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Globetrotters always work. <laughs> Oklahoma City, Indiana, Houston, all 23 and a half wins. Burke seems like he'd be an Indiana guy, right? Yeah. Like he probably loves the movie Hoosiers. That's good yeah. all-American basketball. <laughs> Lurpy white guy. Run, yeah. the, <laughs> run the picket fence. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So Burke gets the Pacers. Denko, you're on the clock. All right. Give me... The give me the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're going to have such a terrible year. I think they're going to try to move back to Seattle, and Seattle's going to say no. <laughs> oh wow! I bet yeah. Seattle wouldn't. Chuck, uh, I'm staying out there. I want the Rockets, please. Give me Houston. They stink. All right. Yeah, they do. Gerbs, I see a good team here for you. I can't wait to hear who you pick. A couple good ones still on the board. Yeah, bad ones. I mean, bad, yeah, yeah, bad but good. Yeah, good and terrible. I'm going with the Orlando Magic. There it is. That's what I, I was thinking. <laughs> They're yep. going to be awful, and I in think the that East. they are yeah. leading in the clubhouse for the Wembayama guy, who is like the French kid who everybody thinks yeah. is yeah. Uh, guaranteed to be the next the next number one pick. So, all right, so Orlando Magic is me. All right, well, guys, thank you for participating <laughs> in our first ever from the land side pieces draft. <laughs> we'll be coming back to this throughout the year to check the standings and uh, enjoy the nights where you get to watch your side pieces play while the Cavs <laughs> are off. But fellas, with that, we're going to take our final break. We'll come back, head off the court and talk off the court hoops stuff. <laughs> fellas, welcome back to our final segment. And this week we will go off the court. We will stick to talking about it, the NBA, but we'll look at all the stuff that kind of surrounds what happens during an NBA game and the NBA itself. And where better to start than the best NBA movie? Is it semi-pro the Will Ferrell classic (laughs) next one? Forget Paris where Billy Crystal plays an NBA ref. Don't shake your head. This was a chagrin cinema (laughs) staple in 1995. (laughs) I promise you. Wow. Uh, Next one, the fish that saved Pittsburgh a cult comedy directed by Gilbert Moses, where the world's wisest ball boy teams up with a local astrologer to devise a plan to fix the abysmal NBA-esque pro squad, the Pittsburgh Pythons, by convincing the team to surround the star player, Moses Guthrie, 
played by Dr. J, surrounding him entirely with Pisces. Last one, Uncut Gems, the Sandler movie about robbery, gambling, and Kevin Garnett. What's the best NBA movie ever made? Wow. The NBA has really not cemented <laughs> itself into cinema like, like Major League Baseball or football has, right? I mean, semi-pro I love, but that's not even the NBA. That's that's winning winning to get into the NBA, right? Yeah, it's close yeah, enough. Yeah. Yeah, NBA they, they mentioned the NBA in it. I got you. I got you. Uh, I'm going to say Space Jam, the original. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's basketball against aliens with cartoons, but, you know, they Michael mentioned Jordan. the NBA in that too. Yeah. Do I have to stick with your list? No, I didn't. Okay. Do whatever you want. Phil's right. The NBA is really misrepresented in cinema, but I, I guess I'll go with um, Trainwreck. Like LeBron was great in it, and there were a lot of NBA guys in it. So Yeah, that's true. I'm going with the fish that saved Pittsburgh obviously, uh, because I feel like that's the one my wife would be most interested in because she gets into that kooky stuff like astrological signs. Moving on, we have seen multiple times where guys in the NBA hosted Saturday Night Live. So what's the best NBA player skit ever? Bill Russell hosted in 1979. He did a skit named The Black Shadow. That was a parody of the then popular show, The White Shadow. Oddly enough, you cannot find footage anywhere of that skit <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Next one, Michael Jordan hosted in 1991. I can't believe it was that long ago. He played Sweet River Baines in the skit about the first black Harlem Globetrotter. Next one, LeBron hosted in 1997. There's a fantastic read to achieve public service announcement skit where Jason Sudeikis goes after him. And last, Charles Barkley has hosted three times. Uh, he had one episode where he did a homework call-in show for kids where all of the callers were inappropriate prank callers. And then he had a skit where he ran Barkley's bank where he promised he would either double your money or lose all of it. So, and there, no in between. So what was the best NBA player skit on SNL? Well, you made me watch all of them. And I appreciate that because I remembered some of them. Like, ah, I remember this. It's not the homework hotline because a, a Muppet jerking off Charles Barkley. I didn't find that funny, no matter what time of day or year it was. Uh, I take gambling too seriously to get in the Barkley's bank. There were times with the first black globetrotter that i was like this like especially when they said the devil's version of basketball like i, I laughed very <laughs> loudly at that but overall it was just too long so i'm gonna go with the uh the read to achieve lebron but not because of him it's because sudeikis and hater are pretty much great in that skit so that's the best one yeah i, I like that too because of hater and sudeikis but I, i'm gonna lead towards uh michael jordan and sweet river baines because of phil hartman actually in that skit like he was hilarious throughout that thing when he pops out of his sister's bedroom and his and it's it just <laughs> but again that skit was different than the other ones the other ones were meant to be like go to commercial fake commercial kind of things like it was an ad whereas the the sweet river uh bane's skit was really well produced it was like a story right like it was it was long like chuck said it was over seven and a half minutes and but i, I i'm gonna go towards that it, it of the four that we watched that was the best one the cast was fantastic in the locker room you know with, with all the all, all all the young versions of of sandler and and um who else was in there uh what's his spade name? was in kevin, there kevin, kevin Neely Neely was spade, in that you know. one yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. even yeah. mike myers was still there so it was uh that was a pretty crazy cast so i'll lean towards that one i like the first black harlem globetrotter skit a ton i remember when that was on i remember watching that episode and thinking that was funny i don't think there's anything funnier than the uh 
when it's all the white guys on the Globetrotter and they do their circle at the beginning yeah. to warm up. And all it is is like bounce passes and chest passes and stuff. It's like none of the crazy stuff you see the Globetrotters do. I, I thought that was funny, but I was actually going with the homework calling show no. with Barkley. I thought it was oh, so funny when he does the uh, the chemical formula and he's like, he's like writing it out it's on the, the paper. next one, potassium. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. So I'm going with Barkley and the homework call-in show. I thought that was funny. Moving on, what's your favorite NBA timeout entertainment? And I have a list, but you can, of course, go off the list if you can think of something that I've missed. I like it when they play the game where you make a layup and then you get to run and put down like a tic-tac-toe piece at half court and whoever wins tic-tac-toe by making the layups the fastest wins the game. I like that one a lot. Uh, the Cavs have a dad's dance team, which is a bunch of guys who are like their 40s and 50s who don't look like they work out doing a dance routine during timeouts. I like that a lot. I have seen at NBA games where there is almost like a dance routine done by people entirely on pogo sticks. That's pretty wild. Last one, the granddaddy of them all the kiss cam phil what's the best nba timeout entertainment timeout entertainment so that's that's a pretty quick because I, I kept thinking you'd, you'd run into the half court shot to win like your mortgage or your college tuition kind of thing but i guess that's not Boring. during timeouts right like and they, right. they do yeah. that at halftime yeah. Yeah. yeah and then of, of course i'm a huge red panda fan she's amazing if you ever get a chance to watch her she just juggles bowls uh, while on a unicycle about 15 feet off the ground no, she's fantastic <laughs> but again that's a halftime thing so I'm going to go with the awkwardness that ensues with the kiss cam because that's just fun for me. Cause I, you got to think they're zooming in on people that they are not couples. They can't, I mean, obviously some are, but there are times where they're not couples and it's pretty obvious. And that awkwardness makes me laugh. I'm going with kiss cam for a different reason. The last Cavs game I went to, I got on the kiss cam with my Holy now cow. wife. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. At, and, least, uh, at least it was with Whitney. Thank God. It's true. Yeah. I looked <laughs> and I was, I was like, Oh man, we're on that. And I, I put it on her really hard and it got a, a smattering of applause. And then uh, I got a Facebook message from a guy I went to grade school with. He's like, Hey, were you just on the kiss cam at the Cavs game? <laughs> I'm going with that. Fantastic. Yeah. Was it Slaby? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with the Cavs dad's dance team because I love to move a little bit. I'm glad <laughs> to see some older guys are still into it. All right. If you could, what celebrity would you most like to sit courtside with for an NBA game? My list. Of course, feel free to add your own. Jack Nicholson at a Lakers game, but in the 80s, not now. Because that's basically like sitting with episode eight King Viserys at this point. <laughs> Next one, sitting in between Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods when the Suns play the Orlando Magic, my side piece. Sitting with Jay-Z and Beyonce at a Nets game. Next one, apparently Bill Hader is a diehard Oklahoma City Thunder fan. So you could sit at a Thunder game with Bill Hader. Last one, courtside, Friday night under the lights in Denver sitting next to John Elway. <laughs> oh god. Who would you most like to sit next to at an NBA game? Oh man, I don't know. I mean the, the old school Nicholson would be awesome from that list, but I I don't even know if he's an NBA fan, but I want to take him to a game. I want to I want to go to a an NBA game and sit courtside. He could pick the city with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> oh wow. All right. Yeah. Way to go to any celebrity rather than those that 
root for basketball teams in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's Shut why up. I want to go with Nick Cage because because <laughs> the conversation is going to be amazing. I'm going to stick to the list because obviously Gerber did a lot of research for this. And I think if we just keep <laughs> blowing by it, like we have most of this episode, he's going to get mad. Uh, I'm going back to the 80s, man, with Jack. There wasn't a cooler dude in a cooler city with a cooler team. Uh, and it's mostly for probably... I'm not just going to say what happens after the game with him, but before the game as well. Yeah, that's a pretty good choice. Hopefully it's more like the HBO Showtime yes. Lakers yeah. than the yeah. uh, Hulu Showtime Lakers. <laughs> I, I think I want to sit with Jay-Z and Beyonce at a Nets game. I think that would be a lot of fun. I would like to see if Jay-Z would be my friend. I think that would be a good time. <laughs> um, I'm going to lean towards probably not. I don't think either one of them are going to talk to you the whole time. <laughs> oh, they're going to have to. I'm going to make sure that happens. All right. Well, that's enough <laughs> off the court stuff. Uh, let's move on and talk a little bit of House of Dragons for this week. It was announced by author George R.R. R. Martin, the guy who wrote all these books, that House of the Dragon will run for four seasons of 10 episodes each. What are your thoughts? The way this is shaping up, I want to say not enough, but I think that's probably going to be the perfect amount. Four years, 40 episodes. Uh, they've already jumped time here, so I'm not original source material guy like you are, but... I think that might be the perfect amount because some people might say Game of Thrones needed more time and then hurried up. But I think for keep it concise, stay on topic, uh, give the fans what they want, that kind of stuff, I'll be good. That should have been your advice to the Cavs. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love to hear it. I, I As good as this season has been, I would love to know that we're getting even more than four seasons. But we've talked about this in the past with with good television shows and that four season is kind of the that's a real house, point. right? Like that's, yeah. you can keep it good and, and keep it really good for four, maybe five seasons if you're a really good show. And then it starts to kind of fall off a cliff. So I'm, I'm happy to hear four seasons. I'm I'm 40 episodes. So sign me up right now. That sounds fantastic. It's going to be good. And I think the interesting thing about it is the way they've set it up in this first season. The next three seasons are going to be nothing but war, basically. I mean, that's what's happened. They have led us all the way to the actual start of the Dance of the Dragons. And Chuck, you're going to love it. It's going to be nothing but dragons, dragons. flying around and yeah. fighting Good. for three seasons. It's going to take time. It takes a couple of years. There's a lot that happens, but it's mostly just war. Uh, it's mostly what it's going to be. So it'll be interesting. I, I think four sounds about right to me. I, I don't know if there's that much more in what is actually a small subset of the entire story this guy has written. I don't know if there's that much more than that to tell so I think that sounds all right all right looking back to last week's episode eight of season one oh about that plot twist with the king dying did not see that coming. <laughs> how surprised were you by the death of the eye socket king no scale there uh, that's, a, that's a that's a that's a zero on any scale i was not surprised at all i thought the guy was uh really gone too late i thought he was going to die two episodes before that <laughs> Talk about staying power for this man. 16 years ago, we thought he was going to die in the timeline. Uh, but not surprising at all. I'm just, I'm shocked that he, he somehow made it as half a mummy at this point. Oh, man. You never want to go any more than half mummy. <laughs> don't, go, don't go full mummy. Yeah. All right. So what are you looking forward to seeing in next week's episode, Chuck? All hell breaking loose at this point. I thought that episode was the pinnacle of this season so far. 
mostly because what a great acting job whoever plays his name patty i believe whoever plays the king yeah uh, and how it wrapped that storyline up just so great and you thought he was spineless and at his weakest point he stood up and it made me realize like i hated the kid who played joffrey he was such a great actor i hate that kid and i was so annoyed with the king not dying but then you look at like his acting throughout that whole episode and i wish he would it's gonna be weird for me to say this i wish he lost his other eye and just kept de decomposing <laughs> in front of our eyes because the way he the way that episode was was great so um what so i gone, think i'm looking gone for... too early yeah, <laughs> with, yeah. With, the, with the king's left eye for chuck <laughs> Uh, what I'm looking for, I'm, I'm long-winded, what I'm, all hell breaking loose, battle lines have been drawn, they gave you the teaser like we're all going to get along, and then that lasted all of 20 seconds, so uh, you see where this is heading, I've waited for it to head, I like where it's going, bring on the dragon war. I agree 100%, I am ready for this family civil war, and more specifically, I'm looking forward to Damon just owning Amon. You are, you're, is that his name, right? Amon? I think, yeah, the, the one I, yep. Amon, Amon, yeah. Like Damon and Amon, that's, ah, oh, geez. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. All these names they make up, and it's Damon and Amon? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the Damon v. Amon fight, because Amon is clearly stealing Damon's shtick uh, with his grunting and his hair, he, you know, it just he's trying to be the badass, and I want to see, I want to see Damon just own that kid. Episode eight might have been the best episode of the season so far. I agree. It was really, Absolutely. really good. When the king steps up and and steps up for Rhaenyra, and then how like they did try to fix it, but like the damage had already been done with the kids, and that's where the war really ends up happening. Uh, is is between the kids is well that's not exactly true, but I mean there's the kids play a huge role in it. I'm looking forward to this week's episode and seeing Aegon the drunk take a throne he doesn't want and they made it very very clear in episode eight that this guy has no interest in being the king and he is absolutely by the end of this episode that's coming out tonight he will absolutely be pushed onto the throne he will be the king by the end of this episode for sure it's going to be interesting to see a guy who doesn't want it be forced to take it and what that's going to mean you know, to the story going forward, but only a couple more episodes this season. And then we probably got to wait like two years until the next season comes out. That'll be sweet. But before we close up tonight, we've got to stop and check in on the worst fantasy league ever Two Gerber trade report. No luck again this week. Tried to work one out with Shantz. I was willing to give up Dalvin cook, Juju Smith Schuster and Brandon cooks for Jamar chase and Chris Godwin. We would have also exchanged our kickers. I also offered him a framed picture of a 1984 Brown Caprice classic like he used to drive in high school. <laughs> His initial response to me was a bit of a tease. He counter offered to trade our entire teams, uh, which I was in agreement with. <laughs> but then he backed away and he sent me a text that says, I'm not doing any trades or transactions to make my team better. I'm trusting the <laughs> algorithm that picked my team for me. I'm a hands off GM. So no successful trade this week because Shantz wants to stay hands off his team. Who's your motherfucking most valuable fantasy player, your MF MVP for the week? Well, I was going to give it to Leonard Fournette for the second week in a row, and, and he deserves it. He's he's amassed like 43 points again with no stats. I don't know how he gets his points. Like he he rushed for 63 yards and he has 43 points in our fantasy league. But Pat Mahomes has eclipsed him. So I'm going to give it back. I'm just, I'm just handing that trophy between Mahomes and Fournette week in and week out. 
Well, when you're playing with house money, you keep going. And even though he didn't even take the field today, he plays tomorrow night. It's Dalton Schultz. You put up two goose eggs in a row. <laughs> when you're going for three, this is like bowling. He's going for a turkey. He's going for nothing out of three games. I can't wait to watch it. I hope I can find an ISO cam just on him tomorrow. Uh, he is my perennial and forever MF MVP. All right, I'm going with Keenan Allen, who hasn't played at all this year. He's listed as doubtful for tomorrow night's game, which is such a shitty designation. Either tell me he's playing or tell me he's not. Don't leave a decision up to me whether to leave him in or start somebody else today. I'm a hands-off coach. I'm giving it to Keenan Allen. Boys, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning NASA's DART mission successfully changed the direction of an asteroid in a test of a system to protect the planet. With that news, 24 years too late for Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, and Liv Tyler. I hope you guys have a great week, and let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. We need another Aerosmith song now. What about Steve Buscemi and the yeah. Papa Bear and all these other guys? I couldn't list movie too, man. <laughs> Buscemi was fantastic. He just went off the rails. He's riding the rocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, coach from uh, Remember the Titans is on that. Crew. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> white yeah. coach. Right, right, right. Yeah, Michael Clark right. Duncan. That's yeah. a hell of a Michael crew, Clark man. Duncan. That's a huge. Yeah, the, rest um, in peace. Oh, one of the Wilson guys is in that. The blonde one is oh, in that movie. Yeah, he dies, oh, what is like, you're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, wow, that is the a Russian? star-studded yeah. flick. Yeah, that, you know. we didn't even need him. We had this other thing. We'll just go push on the <laughs> asteroid and it's gone. <laughs> We're just going to shoot a spaceship at it, unmanned, and it will. Yeah, yeah. Will. way better way better than sending a bunch of people to drill a hole people, in one. People with drills. Yes. <laughs> Why are they drilling? <laughs> well, they had to get it down, the nuke down far enough to blow the asteroid up. Ah. Uh, Great movie. All right. Hey. Did the Red Hot Chili Peppers come out with a new album? They did. They did. They, uh, I listened to it. So it's 75 minutes long, which is even longer than the one we reviewed months ago. Yeah. Uh, But they wrote all the same, all the songs at the same time. So these are all tracks that were at least written for for this that. is an entire album of b-sides from the one that they released earlier well, this year i don't know that they were recorded like the songs were written all oh, together okay. and then they decided what the the you know the the kind of the mood of that album was going to be and they went with whatever track so yeah i think they spent the last whatever kind of polishing up some things it's actually i listened to it it, it actually um again it feels like a chili peppers album it's it's really yeah. not bad i don't know that it's as good as the one we reviewed but it, it's not bad at all. There's some good tracks on it. Did you see that Zach Bryan came out with another song? Like his 75th song of the year <laughs> he's come out with? And it's Neil good. Young it's good. just releases yeah. everything he makes. <laughs> I'm trying to see some reaction because I didn't see the last quarter pretty much. And Rizzo's tweet was like, don't worry, changes are coming. Like, what, are you gonna, what, what changes are coming? What doesn't matter like what like is Deshaun yeah. Watson's gonna play after <laughs> yeah. week 13 yeah right no shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it
Um, you're you're not firing Stefanski is not the answer. That no, is not the no, answer. No. Don't fucking do it. Maybe firing Joe Woods is a good idea. I don't know, man. Maybe, don't you think maybe. they only do that? They only do that and then promote from within, right? Because they're not yeah. going to change. Like, yeah. who's out there, right? Like, yeah. is Greg Williams out there? Yes. Go find that guy. Yeah. Oh, yes. okay. All right. Never mind. Guy. I stand corrected. Let's go get that guy. Should have um, been the head coach after they fired Hugh, anyway. Yeah. Well, avoided all of this. Maybe this in the uh, long run, though, this is exactly what the Browns need because. Yeah. You need, need a shit. <laughs> you need a shit year like from everyone. everybody. No, no, no. They need but, to lose to the Chiefs. No, no, no. Not them losing. Everyone else. Losing. Everybody else keep everyone losing. Everyone else losing because if Deshaun sure. Watson takes the field, and the Browns are somehow one yeah. game out of contention, yeah. even Absolutely. with a losing record, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay, I'll take my chances. Right. Although, well, I don't know. I guess I, I think today would have been a game we could have won with a better quarterback. <laughs> but up well, to you know point, what? Like, you know, my thought was that. Every every NFL team is going to have like their shit. Lost the mic. Um, every NFL team is going to have their shit performance. They're just that one week where they're absolutely terrible. Yeah. And it would have been okay for this to be our terrible week if we had just won two of three yeah. Jets, Falcons, Chargers. If we just won two of those three, yeah. then it'd been like, oh fuck, we lost. But hey, we're still in first place in the division. The Patriots are tough. We, you know, Brissett had a bad game, blah, blah, blah. But now because as always, the Browns give themselves no margin of error, um, this loss feels a lot worse for the scope of the season, I think. Yeah, it well. I don't know. I, I thought coming into this year that they had to hand the ball to Watson with a a six and five six record. Six and five record. Yep. I agree. That's not happening. I can't imagine that's happening now. Um but the way the season's going, they might be able to hand it to him with a five and six record and be okay. <laughs> you know. But again, that they gotta find three more wins between now and then, right? It's four if they're four and eight. When he gets the ball, or four and seven, when he gets the ball, he wins the rest, right? He's got to win the rest, then, yeah, right, right. I, I, right. I just don't, I just right. don't see that happening. Like, I don't see that guy coming out and running the table. Yeah. Um, well, I think I said I, at the beginning of the year, I thought there was a chance he'd have a losing record. Yeah, right. Quarterback right. once he came back, I, I, I guess I don't think that's possible now because part of that was assuming that the Steelers might be pretty good and that the Washington Commanders might be okay. Those, I think those are the last two games of the year. I think both of, the, both of those teams are going to be dump, dumpster fires by the end of the season. So those yeah. should be he, – he, he should be able to walk <clears throat> right off of the street and beat those two teams. Well, um, so those those are two of the games he has to play. The other one, Houston, they better roll into Houston. Yeah, and, yeah. You yeah. Know. Holy shit, the Browns are making the playoffs. I love how this is coming together. <laughs> with, a, with, a, with an eight and nine record. Every week, and we're still yeah. like, the Browns are making the playoffs. An eight, man. an eight and nine record. They're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> it's great. I love it. <laughs>if they were up two nothing okay you know who cares yeah. right yeah yeah one one series you don't manage for tomorrow you it's exactly right i can already feel my heartbeat going man i know <laughs> i know i know calm uh, down we gotta get this-
about we got to get this going so that yeah. we can finish right. Sorry. the time. So, but how about that play by Quan? The the line drive that he caught on, on the run, like right off the turf. Yes, like I, I'm yeah. a sucker for defense in the outfield, right? I was like, holy yeah. shit! Like that that ball's a triple if he doesn't make that play. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. That's good stuff. All right, All right. so yeah. we are just going to start like we're in the middle of the first segment with the Browns and then just finish out the rest of the show. Okay. Um, if at all possible, and this sounds hilarious, um, let's uh, try not to make it obvious that we're recording this before the Guardians game. <laughs> if it comes best. up, let's just try to pretend. Because yeah. there was that when we, we did this a few times when we very uh, like the very first started recording the show and you could tell by things that we were saying late in the show that we had recorded the first segment after that, <laughs> it just kind of makes it sound silly. So hopefully it doesn't come up. So um, if we don't talk about guardians at all, we're good, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. I don't think they're playing in the NBA this year. We should be fine. <laughs> so Mahomes, uh, in a game that they're still playing, uh, is, is already, pushing 50 in a game that they won in triple overtime, which doesn't even occur in the regular season. Let's, let's take that over. Cut, cut, cut. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it to Pat Mahomes uh, because he's going to eclipse. I did it again. He, eclipsed. he, he eclipsed 45 points this week in just an awesome game against Buffalo. Good God. Just, just, just more work for me. I Check. <laughs> he has like a completely tinted visor. Maybe he has like whatever with his eyes that Jim McMahon had, and he always has to wear sunglasses. He also caught a fork in the eyeball as a child, and <laughs> just now started wearing whatever. Them. Did that yeah. happen to Jim McMahon? Yeah. Yeah. Really? yeah, yeah, yeah. He he got stabbed. Like I think he got in a fight at the dinner table with one of his siblings. He got oh. stabbed with a fork right in the eye. It was like House of the Dragon shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got about ten minutes of guards talking, and then we're done for the night. All right. You ready to do it? Yep. Nope. <clears throat> Boys, we'll see. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for the weird schedule, and um, no problem, I think man. we're gonna have a good show. This is gonna be a good show, and let's go guards. Go guards. All right, go guards. Yet. All right, <laughs> fellas. Talk to you guys soon. Good night. Love All you, right. boys. Love Talk you, brother. You. See you. Funny. Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?